Uh, so um, how much is that? And we're live here with you via StreamYard again this week. The Yetis here on the Podcast Editor Mastermind Show. I'm Jennifer Longworth. Next to me is... Uh, Daniel Abendroth. And I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at TopTierAudio.com. And bringing in the laughs today is... I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at YayaPodcasting.com. Today, we are uh, giving our reactions from the podcast editor survey results that came out from the podcast editor club, podcast editor academy. Mark and Steve, those guys released their findings yesterday uh, on a live stream. And we have those numbers for you today and what we thought about them. Yeah, it's really interesting to see kind of like how it compares to years past and just kind of see like how the industry has changed and stay the same and where things are. And here we have a cat already. I always kind of look forward to the survey, right? Because it helps me kind of understand where I sit in the market. In my opinion, the survey doesn't necessarily help me set my price, but it does help me understand because while there's a certain element of the value of what I do to the clients that I serve and what that's worth to them and what it is that I bring to the table that may not be the same as everybody else. It also helps me understand within the broader market where I fit, because I think that there's always this tension in, uh, I don't remember like economics class in high school. We talked for like 20 minutes about pricing elasticity, like that there's the idea that within a certain band, it doesn't really change how much you make overall, but then there are pressure points at which you you break. And so I'm always trying to go, okay, where am I sitting in terms of the market? Because there's a certain risk that if my pricing gets out of scale for other editors that could do what I do, even if they technically serve a different clientele, I might price myself out of business. Does that make sense? Yeah. It kind of gives you an idea of what other people's customers are paying. Yeah, it certainly does. So let us know in the comments if you watch the stream, if you have any reactions, we'll be popping some slides up on the screen for those of you watching the video feed. There they are. (laughs) And just let us know what you thought. And we'll, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway. Let's dive right in. (laughs) (laughs) Stuart watched. Yeah. (laughs) And I do want to start off like I took notes because I watched the replay. And I wrote, I probably can't read it, but like right here, I put data is just numbers. The interpretation is up to you because it's easy to look at these and being like, oh, well, I need to switch DAWs. I need to do this, this, this. Like, it's not what these numbers are saying. It's just kind of the fact that like it's ways one way or another doesn't mean you had to change your entire business model, but it's just a way to like see what people are doing, see what you're doing and see like just kind of get inspiration, kind of figure out what you can change. So I'd like to jump in there because. I use Hindenburg and Hindenburg was one of the two editing softwares. It was identified as people make Mm -hmm. more per hour using that, that software. So I would like to say that maybe you should switch to Hindenburg. Actually, you probably shouldn't. And the reason I would say that is because if you're proficient in the software that you use, switching to Hindenburg may actually slow down your workflow. And so you could actually end up making less per hour, right? So as much as I love it, I'm not going to tell you to change just because that was one of the things that was identified. And we talked about that in our last episode, actually. So you should go back and listen to that before you change your dog. Yeah. 
That's episode 64. It just went out today. Yeah. So one thing, and maybe it's just because I have been working in Pro Tools um, poorly, uh, I was surprised about what that was the DAW that was making, like people were making the most money on. And I think one of the things that uh, Steve Remark said that is that because those people probably went to school. So I think the first thing we should probably hit is like, what was the average rate? Because I think that's probably the one thing that people that haven't watched before are wondering, right? And I'm working from memory, but I believe that the rate this year on average was 193. Yeah, there it is. $193 per episode, which is a reasonably significant increase from last year. And you can see that over the last couple of years, that is the trend. I think, though, that the place where this potentially breaks down is that all the other services definitely play into that as far as what you add, whether does that add or detract from the value that you're, what you're able to charge. And then also that $193 per episode, if it takes you an hour to edit an episode, that is an incredibly good per hour rate. If it takes you 10 hours to edit an episode, if you're doing what <laughs> Carrie does, right, where, where you're taking multiple days because you're, you're pulling dialogue from a script and you're taking different takes and putting all that together, $193 an episode is a terrible rate. Now, I realize that that wasn't the scope of this, but I also su suspect that some people might read, edit a 60-minute recording, do basic noise reduction leveling, and mix it down and go, okay, well, I take a 60-minute recording, but I turn it into a five-minute episode. Well, that's a little bit different. And I know it wasn't phrased that way, but I suspect that there are some people, when I look at how long it takes them, like because that chart was in there, I can't imagine taking that long to edit a one-hour interview. Like, I, I just can't imagine how it could possibly take that long. So I want to kind of throw that out there that this could be a bit skewed. Yeah. And when you see the kind of breakdown of, because like at the end of the slides, there's like this, um, what people's like responses were. And there was like mm -hmm. a couple outliers that like somebody spent one hour on a one hour recording and charged $500. And then one person spent two hours on a one hour episode and charged $1,000. Like, that yeah. I feel I, I I'd be really curious to talk to those two people yes. and see what they're doing. Please come on our show. Because like I feel like what they're offering is probably beyond the scope of the question of a basic reduction, like basic audio repair editing for 60 minutes of raw audio. Or the clients they serve, it is so valuable to them, or they know so little about the market that they're willing to pay that. Yeah. So that's where I'm curious about how that has cue or it actually like legit numbers? I think in the survey, and I certainly know um, in surveys past, the way that question is worded about how much you charge per 60 minute episode for the, mm -hmm. you know, the basic kind of things. Did people just answer the question as, you know, accurately? Like, did they follow the instructions? Were they not thinking right. about all the other services that could be, Something that could also skew it. Yeah. And I guess my goal here wasn't to invalidate no. the, the survey because it's incredibly yeah, valuable. Yeah, no, just things to think about because, you know, that kind of stuff does happen in surveys and maybe Steve and Mark can speak more towards that in the future. Like, I don't think they could word that question any clearer, though. No. <laughs> let's, let's also talk a little bit about, you know, the basic noise reduction and leveling. Like, when I think about me editing a podcast, leveling is what I would consider as part of the mix and master phase. That might take me longer because I approach it differently than some people, right? There might be some people where that means 
you know, I slap on a stock EQ and I'm done. And for me, that means like all the pieces are meeting spec. And sometimes that takes more than one pass. And so that can take longer for me. I would also say maybe somebody, like I'll just kind of pick on the Pro Tools people, maybe somebody who's been through audio engineering school and has been sitting in the studio for 20 years can do what takes me half an hour in like three seconds because like, oh, flip that switch, like do that because they're so good at it. And so I think that there may be within this some nuance that's really hard to to bring out, right? Because we all come to this with different levels of skill and different expectations. And different ideas of what edit means. Yeah. Yes. Because I can speak for me. I don't like offer this exact service because like everything I do also includes more than just basic noise reduction and leveling mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, like uploading and client interact. There's like a lot more to it to where like, I can't really like give a price for like what this is exactly asking. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would just go to my rate card, right? Because I do yeah. have a rate card and I do negotiate, right? So just because I quoted that doesn't mean that that's exactly what I get paid. But then also I tend to work with clients where they, if they want something that's a little bit outside the scope, of course, I try to work with them and see, can we make that work? And what's that cost going to be? Yeah, I think this is a great a great baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I want every editor to get paid at least that much, you know, for this work, for the editing only. I think like down on the bottom right, the rate per hour, I think is like a good baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to dollars I personally would like to see that a little bit higher. And for people who are new to editing professionally or new to like freelancing or this kind of um, career path, it seems high because like it'd be really like the kind of job like nine to five that you'd get for $63 an hour would be like extremely skilled. Which like we are, but also that sixty three dollars is yeah your take home pay, but it's also your company overhead and right. a lot of expenses associated with running a business, and you're probably not working forty billable hours a week, and so you have to like factor that in. Yeah, so like if you think about a per hour wait, if you're working for a large company, what they figure you cost them is probably in the range of one one and a half to one and three quarters times whatever your actual rate is by the time you talk about benefits and taxes and all of that kind of stuff. I actually look at that $63 an hour and go, that's probably worth about $35 to $40 an hour if I was working a job where somebody else was taking care of those parts of it. So $63 an hour is great. I'd love to see everybody making much, much more than that because that would help me too. But, (laughs) But at the same time, like keep in mind, especially if you're making this a business now, I'm in the unique position and so is Jennifer where I actually have a full-time job and so I'm able to keep more of the taxes because a lot of that's covered by my employer and it, like it's a little bit different. However, if I were to transition to full-time freelancing, I have to take care of those, right? And so that's something that becomes a conversation where if you were to say, like if I worked 40 hours a week and three quarters of it was billable hours, make up that number, right? I would need to make, call it $40 an hour, whatever that number is to make my budget work. Well, when you start going, okay, and also I need to cover my taxes and all that kind of stuff, don't forget that your number has to be higher than that. All right, we're going to take all night. Yeah, I know. We're gonna, we can't this spend rate. this much time per slide. <laughs> okay, what, right? th- since this one has come up a couple of times already, uh, extra services offered, number of extra services while we were on the live stream, Carrie was like, what the what? Who does 12 extra services? <laughs> Somebody. One person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I I have spent my editing career now at this point to do less services. Like I started with like a lot of services and now I just do like very specific things. My take is that you're probably looking at somebody who is a podcast manager who also edits. And so they probably do guest booking and stats, like keeping track of stats and upload and schedule and write the blog post. And whether they do it or they have somebody else do it, if that's a service they offer, that can affect their rate. Yeah. When I see like 10, 11, 12, I'm thinking hopefully an agency where... Could be. Yeah. Like I offer this, but like, yeah, I offer show notes, but I don't do the show notes. I pay somebody to do it for me. So that's what I'm hoping because for one person to do so many services, you're probably spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. And you also have to decide if you want to have an agency type business model Mm -hmm. or do you want to be a little bit more boutique and custom? So that's something to keep in mind. Um, But yeah, wow. If one person's doing all those 12 things, I'm just, (laughs) I'm impressed. And you need, you also need to come on the show and and explain this, explain yourself. On a personal level, (laughs) I probably offer a total of eight. I don't offer them all the time, right? But for one of my clients, I do audiograms. For one of my clients, I do offer show notes writing. I do coaching and consulting. I do help manage their media hosts. I don't do live recordings, but I do voiceovers for one client. Um, I can do artwork for the episode. I do some level of social media management just in terms of uploading and scheduling. And I do for one client, I've done some website design. So like I do offer more of those. That doesn't mean I offer them to every client, but I do offer more of those than I thought I did at first. And Steve says that he could see Mike Wilkerson doing all the things since his network has 90 shows. Well, yeah, totally. Absolutely. When you have me write your show notes, you're going to get two sentences. If you want to, you know, pay my my outsourced show notes writers, you're going to get something real. But I don't, you know, actually do the show notes writing, but I offer that to people. So I might have said offer show notes writing. I don't remember what I said. That's not my my thing. I try to I try to stay just in this lane, but it doesn't work when people come to you and want to launch and they have nothing. Then you have to be coaching them on this and tweaking this. And so when it comes to podcast media host management, then I'm setting up their feed for the first time through Lips and Podbean, getting them to Apple and Spotify. But that's like a one-off thing. But I probably... Right. That's a one-day like activity. It's just data entry. Um, and it's gotten easier now. But I don't do launches. I actually would love if um, Steve and Mark next year would actually dig a little deeper into these extra services and like, what do you charge for those? Right. Because it would be nice to see what people are charging for these. Like what's that median for the different types of services? And then why is that? Because they have the correlation between you do this, you make more money, you do this, you make less money. So I'd love, I I would love to get that data. Part of where my head goes is if that's an indication also of the clients that you serve, that might have more bearing. It's my view that what we can charge is driven more by how valuable it is to the client and whether or not they're willing to pay for that than what it actually costs us to deliver it or the the number of things that we offer. Because I've looked at offering other things and I, you know, basically I just try to offer what my clients are looking for as best I can because 
I don't want to offer a bunch of stuff that they don't care about and just like so that I can tack it onto the bill and make it look like I'm making more. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but not everything on this actually helps you charge more for editing. Some of these things actually could potentially cost less. Now, um, probably the first one I would point to is slide. I'm going through the deck. I mean, let's just put to bed choosing Hindenburg won't make you um, <laughs> won't make you charge more money. It's just an indicator of something. Slide fit 14, I think. Oh, 15. It's kind of the same along the same vein too is what DAW you use. Yeah. So what DAW do you use? That could be, there's a correlation, but it may not be causation. Right. The same thing with the number of clients, what you can charge per hour. There's a correlation with people that have nine plus clients that they charge more or they make more per hour than those that have less, which could speak to the clients you serve or your proficiency or any number of other things. But that doesn't mean that having 10 clients will in and of itself make you more money. I mean, I guess it would make more in the sense that you can bill for more clients, but that doesn't make you more per episode or per per hour. So this is the one that stood out to me. I think that slide 15 was the interview booking seems to have a correlation with charging more in a way that, you know, Mark with his knowledge of regression analysis, which goes, that's an area of stats that I've never really gotten into. This would be an indicator that, hey, if I wanted to up my per hour rate for the editing portion, offering guest interview booking seems to be a way to go. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't think that I would change my editing rate based on adding interview guest booking. I'm assuming Brian means that you would offer it as a package, right? Or no? Well, I mean, this is just saying, because the way the thing was worded was how much would you charge to edit? And then there was also a question about what other services do you offer? So the services offering should be disconnected from the price that you charge to edit, except that there seems to be a correlation with those that offer guest interview booking, being able to charge more for the editing portion. Now, is there some dirt in the data? I don't know. I mean, there, there could be. We're people. We're filling out surveys. <laughs> We're imperfect. We're yeah. podcast editors. We probably took two minutes to do it, right? Well, I think <laughs> if you are serving someone who is going to pay for interview guest booking, they are probably have more money to give you for editing as well. Very right. likely, yeah. yeah. So you, there's a threshold there. Mark actually had a question. Do your clients even ask what DAW you use? You can't use? see me, but the answer is yes. Have you ever lost work because of the DAW that you use? I use Audition, so no. But <laughs> <laughs> it is something that when people are interviewing for a new editor... Mm -hmm. And they're going from like, oh, I'm interviewing editors or whatever. They will ask. I had one client who was looking for somebody who is really proficient in Pro Tools. And I said, I've got the free version. I can use it. Am I proficient? No, I'm not. And she's like, okay, I need somebody who yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. It's actually a very common question, I think, especially like maybe if you're working with kind of newer podcasters, then maybe they don't ask. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's like kind of the first question because a lot of clients and and especially if you're working on something that, you know, somebody else is going to come in behind and touch like the client, they want to be able to like edit something really quickly or mm -hmm. which is nice of them because they don't send it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> or they want to be able to send you session files. Yes. And I know Carrie with some of the editing that you do, you're working with sound designers and and um, professional mix and master engineers, they they're going to want a Pro Tools session back. They don't want they don't want you to 
render it and then send it to them for them to re-render it. They want to do the whole yeah, thing. And I've been on the other side of it, sending stems and mm-hmm. not having the same DAW. And it's a pain, which is why I'm using Pro Tools. Yeah. I mean, that's why I've got a couple of contractors that I work with. And I was very careful to select people that use software that I have access to because their deliverable to me is not a completed edit. It's an edit session file because I always touch everything. I've got, it's my name on it. Yeah, Sorry. And when I hire an editor to work with, I ask. I mean, that's like my mm-hmm. first question because we're going to share session files and I need to be able to open them and work with them. And I want to do that in audition. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, because, yeah. And so, like, and I remember asking Alejandro what, what DAW he used. So, and I think between this survey and the, there was a, a DAW survey that Steve did uh, August, I think. If I remember right, the top DAWs within the space are, um, Audition, Audacity, Pro Tools, Hindenburg, and Reaper. And not necessarily in that order. I don't remember the, the specific order. But like if you're, if you're looking to potentially collaborate with other people or to maybe partner with a, an existing editor to get more experience and to kind of get your foot in the door, you might want to consider using or at least becoming proficient in one of those DAWs so that you can work with people that have control issues or, yeah. <laughs> or that want to be able to do something. So like one of my editors, I send off the interview to be edited. When it gets back, I put it with the, the pre-roll and the post-roll that the client has recorded. Afterwards, that voiceover goes together. I don't want to work with the individual. I don't want to work with the mixed file, right? I want to make sure that everything matches because I'm getting pieces after he's done. And I think it's also for quality control. If you have the more ears you have on a file, like it's, it's, not, you know, I'm checking the work because I am also quality checking the work. Right. And yeah. so I can go and just, you know, I just put the finishing touches on stuff um, when I get it from another editor. And that's, that's nice. Cause that's where like, I know how to do that. And I enjoy that. And that's the part of the job I like. So number of hours editing, I thought was really interested. interesting. We seem to be biased toward doing the work rather than getting our names out. And that mm-hmm. is certainly true of me. Well, it's yeah. podcast editors are terrible marketers. Uh, sorry, y'all. I, I do pretty good on getting my name out. <laughs> Around here, anyway. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, look at you all. I mean, you just have a branded background and everything. Well, I probably fell into the the, the second category for for both of those, how much developing and editing business. But, you know, what someone reading this, that the question, uh, the chart we're looking at, hours per week editing and hours per week developing your business. And it looks like people spend the least amount of time developing their business and more time editing. So more working in instead of on. The other thing that stands out to me is that the vast majority of us are spending less than 20 hours a week working, which is certainly a category. And when I say working, I mean working on the editing portion, which is certainly something that's true of me because I have a full-time job too. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't do, I do more editing than I do business development these days. Yeah. You're, you're serving a much tighter niche at yeah, this point, right? Yeah. I guess I've niched down and I have a very specific type of client. But because I think in the beginning, I was that that developing way more than I was editing. And to me, these look like phases, really. When you first start out, you know, you're not probably going to have as many clients. And so you are able to focus 
on the business and try and test and develop things. And then, you know, eventually you get to the point where you're just doing the work, right? Yeah. I think the other thing that kind of stands out to me is that the vast majority of us, or at least half of us appear to have six or more clients. Let's put it that way. And yet a significant portion of us are editing less than 20 hours a week. So I'm thinking like six to 10 clients or more on 20 hours a week or less. That's pretty impressive. Pop up Steve's comment. So he averages 20-ish hours a week editing, but works about 50 hours a week because the rest is, you know, admin, assigning work to contractors, coaching clients. So, you know, we have folks like Steve who are supervising others and lots of different parts. So, you know, that the hours per week editing and developing business, the developing business for Steve's probably a lot higher. It's really about how you're designing your business, right? And I think that was one of the points that Mark had made that you kind of create your own. Re- Is that, did he say that? You create your own reality within this? I don't remember. Okay. I've, certain, I've heard it before. All right. All right. I don't know. I thought this one was interesting. 25% more per hour for five or more active clients. So I think that plays into exactly what we saw in the previous chart, where a, a lot of us have a significant number of clients, not all of us, but also the amount of time worked has gone down. And you can see that right here, right? The work just happens faster. Yeah. And now that I have more clients, you know, I charge more than I did when I only had a handful and was just trying to figure out what I was doing too. You know, my first two or three, I don't mention how much I charge them because it's embarrassingly low. I'm still embarrassingly low, but not that low. So once you, you've done it and you've gotten more clients, then you've raised your rates over the course of time, I, I'd imagine as well. I'll share my first client I took on for free, right? I didn't intend to even have a client. Mm-hmm. And I think it placed into one of the things, as you mentioned about raising your rates, it is much easier to quote a higher rate to a new client than to raise a rate on an existing client. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to push back. I mean, emotionally, it's much harder to go, well, I'm going to take you from zero to 50 or from 50 to 75 or from 100 to 110 or whatever than it is to go to a new client, hey, my rate is this. And so just maybe think about how you can build that into your process, whether you have a regular rate review or whether you quote higher rates to new clients. And then when your other clients come up, you just say, hey, this is what my current clients are charging. So we need to get you at parity with them. Like, think about how you want to approach that. And I'm not trying to give you the right answer. Like, it's got to be the right one for you. The next slide was time spent editing that those that spent 10 or less hours a week editing made 22% more per hour. And those that spent 10 to 20 weeks editing made 17% more an hour because they did work faster. Which is really interesting to me that 10 or more hours didn't show up as doing the work faster. They just showed up as making more per hour. It's interesting that those that spend a lot of time editing don't make as much. Because they're spending too much time editing and yeah, I not mean, charging enough. So, so I think there's two pieces of it, right? One is how many hours a week do you spend editing? And the other is how many pieces of content do you put out and at what, what price? So if I spend 20 hours a week editing and I put out two episodes at you know, $75 each, well, my per hour rate is abysmal. If I spend five hours a week putting out 10 episodes, you know, $1,000 a, a piece, well, then my per hour rate is off the charts and, and somebody's going to steal that business because I'm overcharging. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one was not a surprise that those have been getting paid to edit for one to three years make 21% less per hour than those who are more experienced. 
Yeah. And I think they talked about that on the stream. That's part, part of the part that I caught was where they were talking about, hey, you know, I'm starting to understand what I don't know. And so now I'm afraid to charge more because I'm realizing how much more there is to, to learn. So like you start off strong, but then, because I know for me, like it took a long time for me to actually like start raising my rates and raising them consistently. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in that one to three, by the time you get to like year four, that's when you realize like, okay, you've maybe gotten over the deposit syndrome and gotten over like the hiccups that you're able to like start raising your rates as you should be. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, you know, that if you lose one client over rates, that there's going to be like, now you trust that there will be more clients, right? And there will be clients that, that will pay that rate. This one was interesting to me because I think last time, so this is an industry specific conference. So this would be a podcasting conference. Maybe I misunderstood. No, this was like FinCon or right. something. So like if you have a niche and go to their conference, Right. And not the podcasting one. Yeah. So this is like going to FinCon or non-podcast specific conference. Okay. I must have misunderstood because the next slide talks about going to a conference other than podcast movement. Yeah. Two different points. This is the part that I missed then. So the takeaway there is just go to lots of conferences. Is that the takeaway? No. Look, those that have gone to a conference other than those have made less per hour. So you don't want to spend all your time going to conferences and not doing right. your work. Go to a conference and get your foot in the door because with conference comes community. So go meet the community, let them know what you do, but don't keep going back over and over and over and over again. Don't go to like five conferences for dentistry in one week or, or one year. Oh, Steve says, agreed. This data point makes my head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Ours too, yeah. as you can tell. All right, so let's move on then. LinkedIn and Snapchat, do they matter? Well, let's see. Well, this one is like weekly or rarely versus like being active on LinkedIn, like a daily or whatever. So like, I don't know how much we can glean from this because like, I don't know how it compares to like social media usage. Right. So Snapchat, if I were to surmise, because I didn't catch this part, I would guess that it's probably newer editors that are trying to get their foot in the door. And so they're charging less. Yeah. Younger editors as well. That could be right or wrong. I mean, these again are just correlation. That doesn't mean that being on Snapchat (laughs) will make you lower your rate. And don't run to LinkedIn and think you need to use that either. Yeah. If you don't want to, don't. So I looked at this one and the first thing that I saw was I need to really suck at discovery meetings because if I can't run a discovery call, apparently I earn $29 more per hour because I'm just (laughs) faster. There you go. Actually, I took it to mean I probably need to focus more on client communication and finding new clients. I think client communication is huge for me specifically because I started off with really poor client communication and that became a focus for me. And because of that, I feel like I can charge more because I'm offering a more personal service than I was when I first got started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people who are not good at facilitating discovery meetings. Again, it's just correlation. Because you can't really judge like how good you are, how confident you are in your skills at that level. When I first heard this, my first thought was somebody, you know, struggles to have or doesn't, doesn't, 
maybe exude confidence on a discovery call and they don't feel very good at it. And maybe the podcaster feels sorry for them. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I looked at that one and I think the indicator for me is that we're faster, the little time clock. So maybe it's people that are just so focused on doing the work, they feel like they're terrible at discovery meetings, but they make more per hour because they edit faster. That's what I took away from it. And it could be that people that don't need to be good at discovery meetings because they get clients from word of mouth or from other means that like they don't need to, they don't need that discovery period to convince somebody to work with them because they have the skills to back it up. That's a good point. This one's fun. Brian, Mr. Spreadsheet, can you please explain this chart to us? I mean, the bars indicate the average as it as how it affects the the baseline rate of $100 per hour. And they're not saying it's it's $100 an hour. They just normalized everything to that. And they're saying, hey, if you attend at least one podcast industry conference, that correlates to somewhere between a plus 60 and plus 83-ish percent improvement in your per hour rate. They're saying that if you're good at discovery emails, then it's somewhere around that 30, 30 range. If you feel oh, right. like you're bad at If you them. feel like you're bad, yeah. And then there are some of these others that seem to affect it the other direction. I think the thing that I was hoping to see out of this was more along the lines of um, which services could be offered that might help improve the rate more or less. However, having read the slide from Mark, it seems like there was really no correlation to be drawn that you could stand behind and say, hey, because it's one thing to say, okay, I take all the people that offer audiograms and their per hour rate is this for editing. So that matters. Well, the regression part of it is saying, okay, if I was to feed a similar data set back through, could it predict the probability that they would be, that they would actually see this kind of return? And if it's not statistically viable, it wasn't included. So I think what that means is, it doesn't matter that much what your additional service might be other than the one or two that they called out. Does that make sense? Not no? really, okay. but that's okay. Um, <laughs> can, can I ask why, what, what happened with Pacific Islanders? Is that maybe people in the Philippines where like the rate may be lower? Um, it could be. I mean, this again is per hour. So it could be people that are charging... an episode, but it takes him six hours to edit. Yeah. But, but why? Well, Steve had mentioned that there's been like a lot of growth in the Facebook group from people in those areas. So it could be one new editors that are charging too little and two people from places of low cost of living who can afford to charge like lower rates compared to us who have a higher cost of living. Honestly, I mean, it could also be people that are taking advantage of people that live someplace where they're, you know, why should I pay you the same that I would pay an American? Like we're somehow better, right? I don't know. That one does actually kind of bother me. It's not that I want to see, I mean, I guess also it's apparently bad to be white or Caucasian. So (laughs) like, it's not just, it's not just that, but that, that kind of thing does concern me that not because I don't want to see investments in other markets, but what I don't want to see is people get taken advantage of. And that's kind of a a slippery slope because what is taking advantage means to me might mean, hey, I can't believe I could possibly ever make this much to somebody else. So I don't want to put that on on them, but it does concern me. 
Yeah, I mean, if we had more information on who these editors are and like what they're doing and kind of like what they're offering. So when I think of like Dave Visaya, is that how you pronounce his name? Visaya, yeah. Visaya, who like has his agency in the Philippines. I believe, because he was on the show a while back, I believe he said like he's able to charge less than like the average because like the cost of living is cheaper where he lives, but it's still like a good living. Or is it like what we've seen like other industries where just people coming in doing low quality work for less money and just like undercutting cutting the industry. In which case, like the kind of clients that you would go for would be um, those that are looking for a higher level of service. One of the things I wonder, and maybe it was part of the survey and I just don't remember, but the channel that you get your clients from could be relevant as well. Right. If you get your clients from a platform like Fiverr or Upwork or some other freelancer marketplace, as compared to uh, I find my clients on social media or I get them 100% word of mouth or I pay for advertising or something like that could also be playing into this. And I, it might have been this as part of the survey. I don't recall. But that I always wonder about that because I have this perception that people on Fiverr are probably making less. That doesn't mean it's true probably was true at one time, but there are probably people that are making bank. Like part of me wonders, does the channel that you get your clients from make a difference? So the takeaway is if you're charging less than 193, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, good time for everybody to raise their rates. The new year is um, coming up. Yeah. So one of the things I'm wondering for the, the Yetis on the call, like we've seen the survey, what are you planning to do with this information? Do you even know yet? Not totally, but I did. I I am an a la carte person, and I was quoting a new launch yesterday, and I already raised one of my little bits. Awesome! And I was like, it wasn't the sixty minutes of editing; it was the media host management. But I'm like, and I charge this for that now. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> it just came out of my mouth. I'm like, I think I have been undercharging for that, so let's throw it out there. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Y'all have been working with me for a few years and you know I, I suck at raising rates. So it's it's that. Yeah. But I have new people. Like I have a new consult call on Monday or Monday after Thanksgiving or whatever, somebody. And he'll get quoted the new rate, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, do I want to, I'm not even sure if I could, but do I want to consider adding guest booking to my offers? So not finding bookings for my clients to be on shows, but helping them get guests scheduled. I'm not sure I'm ready to go there yet. I don't know that it's appropriate for me, but that's something I'm thinking about. The other thing is I'm looking at this going, how do I make sure that my rates are in line with the market in a way that can be supported, but also I can continue to pay my contractors something that's worthwhile for the portion of the work that they do. It's my view that contractors don't get necessarily the full rate because they're not doing all of the editing and they're also not going out and chasing down the business. And there is a cost to that. And there's also a portion of it that I do. However, I don't ever want it to be so disconnected from what the market could support that I'm taking advantage of them. That seems not right to me. Yeah. There's a balance. I'm the same thing. Like I am looking into like guest booking, thinking about that because like I'm in a particular niche and I think it'd be an easy ad to like have like a spreadsheet of 
potential guests that I can send, like I can pitch to all of my clients because they're all like in the same field. Yeah. And so like one guest can be on multiple of my clients shows. And that's something that like, I wouldn't necessarily charge for because like, unless like, it's like, I'm actually doing it for a show, but it's just like, Oh, Hey, I know this client or I know this guest would be perfect for your show or for this topic, whatever, you know, here's their information. It's a great value add that I can use to like justify a higher rate overall. Yeah. That's actually something I've been able to do with one of my clients because I have a show that's paused and I keep having people reach out to me, say, Hey, can I be on your, on your show? And I'm like, well, no, cause I'm not publishing it. However, I know somebody else. So let me introduce you. And then the other thing is I want to track my time. So I did it for a while, but it's kind of a hassle. And it's something I think might be a good topic for this show is like, how to effectively um, track your time. Because, you know, Steve had mentioned during this, talking about you specifically, Brian, about like how much time you spend on the cleanup versus the actual editing. And so I think like we can get better data if we can kind of essentially train the industry on keeping better track of time. Because like, I don't know how long it takes me to edit I can't say exactly like a 60 minute episode takes me this long because there's so much more to it and different shows are take different amount of time. There are too many variables and, you know, unless you actually looked at them, then you could be really wrong about things. Right. But if we can have like better tracking throughout, then I can be like, okay, well, my average is this and that kind of, then it'd be better to know like what I'm actually making per hour and to see if my rates line up with what I want to be making. What you carry? Um, so the whole Pacific Islander thing just bums me out, but um... see comment in the, (laughs) yeah. Joanne says that a little underpaid there needs to update for the inflation. So yeah, yes, no disagreement. No, not at all. I'm really happy about that. One ninety three rate when and that makes me realize that I need to raise my rates because that's a significant jump jump right I mean I also would like to do a time study now that I'm doing just kind of work where the editing is different I need to track that as well to make sure that I'm kind of meeting that but also air media has a great rate calculator and they're, they have a great rate guide that I try to follow for like the corporate shows, but for indie podcasters, um, I know like I have a show, like one show I've been working on for ever. And so that show takes me an hour. Right. And now I have, I have had new clients come in and that's not the case for their shows. So I, I mm-hmm. need to, mm-hmm. To really take a look and assess um, what's going on there. Kind of off topic, but I did recently, because like a lot of my add-ons, like show notes, transcripts, that kind of thing. I did go through and actually look at the numbers to see what I'm charging versus what I'm they cost me. Um, to find like, just to like verify that like I'm charging enough to cover the costs. Because I charge like I pay my contractor a set number per episode, but I charge kind of differently to my clients. And so it's important to kind of um, make sure that you're bringing in makes sense to what you're paying to get it done. I think the one thing I wanted to mention, and this came to me a little bit late, one of the things that I've continued to do, and I think 
the rest of us on this call probably do is invest in tools to help us do our job faster and better. And so that might also play into some of the per hour rates because we're not seeing the investment in a tool like Isotope RX 9 or 10 or buying Carrie's course to get better at it or, you know, switching from a DAW that you're not, I don't want to pick on any particular software, but switching from a DAW that's not particularly good for podcast editing to something that is better for it. Or in my case, I just bought a new set of um, equalizers and compressors that bring in a little bit of AI to help me make that first set of adjustments more quickly so that then all I need to do is tweak it to taste, right? And so those costs don't show up directly in my per hour rate or my per episode rate, but those costs help me make my business better, deliver a better product and actually do it faster. Sweat equity, right? Don't be afraid to put in that sweat equity at all because you will get it. And especially if you buy Carrie's course, right, Carrie? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And my next course is coming out in 2030. (laughs) (laughs) Right around the corner. So, So you know what? I don't think we ever told people where to get the survey results. Where do we get those survey results, Brian? Well, as it turns out, they're at podcasteditoracademy.com slash 2022 survey. Now, if you haven't guessed, the 2022 is for the year of the survey. So 2022 (laughs) survey. Uh, We have that up on the display and we'll have that in the show notes for you as well. They're available for free. All you have to do is subscribe to the email list because, I mean, that makes sense. And then you get the results for free. That's where we downloaded them from too. And um, good stuff there. You can dig through the results yourself. Then you can heckle Mark and Steve about all the things that they did. (laughs) (laughs) And if you like what we have to say, keep on tuning in. And if you would like to be a guest, we go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest, fill out the form. It'll send Daniel a magic email and we will get back to you. <laughs> we should probably also mention, just in the sake, for the sake of disclosure, the Podcast Editor Academy did sponsor the show a couple months ago. Like they're not paying us for this. We're happy to do this. And they are also running a deal. Does anybody rem- remember what the deal is right now? So it's one, $1 for 45 days um, of the Podcast Editor's Academy. Which is an amazing deal. Oh, yeah. If you need to raise your rates, they have sales scripts to help you with that. Uh, you can copy and paste and then adjust them to match your voice. Uh, they were written by a professional copywriter that actually knows what they're doing. They were not written by me or Daniel. So... <laughs> <laughs> Plus like all the other deals they have. So like if you're thinking about going through the podcast engineering school, that has a massive discount there among like a ton of other discounts and deals. Oh, and a discount on Carrie's course and my course. Oh, there you go. And do do you have a discount on your course, Daniel? Oh, the course that doesn't (laughs) exist. (laughs) Yeah, Be sure to check it out. It's podcasteditoracademy.com. And no matter what you do, if you try to sign up, you're going to be forced into taking that deal. So even if you wanted to pay full price, you wouldn't be allowed to. You'd have to pay a dollar. So that seems very heavy handed, Daniel. <laughs> I know. They're really they're really iron fisting that uh, dollar for forty five days. Is that it? We got anything? I think that's I think it. That's we got it. a pod decks? I don't think we have time for a pod decks well, I mean, question you- of the day today. Do you guys want one? You got a handy? I always got them handy, except when I forget. So <laughs> I don't know. Jennifer, you're hosting. So one through five. One. One. What's your favorite thing that you've bought this year? This year. I'm going to answer mine from the from podcasting answers. I bought the Sonable EQ compression and limiter kit suite. Uh, they're the AI assisted EQ compression and limiting. 
And man, those are nice. Uh, I bought them on a special and I'm happy with those. Who's next? I got this little gator case. Ooh. But inside the gator case, Podtrack P4. And I, I, um, Went one to one of my clients and ended up selling it to her and got another one. <laughs> and then they That's went great. on sale for like 50% off. So I have a backup. Oh, so wow. I nice. have a few of these around. So that's that's my vote. Don't remember if I bought it this year, but the, my microphone. Yeah, the probably Q9U. Pod- yeah, I think podcasting related is probably my favorite purchase. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to go with Chef's Omni Channel. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so that would be mine. I had been admiring it for a long time, and, and finally, I did. Steve says LED light strips for his office. Nice. Very cool. Nice. Very nice. I think that's all we got. Yeah, I think that's yeah. all we got. And it's been a pleasure being with you all and having my internet work and not... <laughs> Not dropping every 30 seconds. (laughs) I'm Jennifer Longworth. You can find me at bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com. I'm Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. I'm Brian Entsminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And next to me is... I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com. All right. We'll see you again. Not next week because that's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll catch you on the other side. Bye. Who's got this? I can't. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. make it <laughs> stop. <laughs> uh, um, so how much is that? Um. 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 Um.